Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Rob Dixon here bringing you another episode of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. With me today is our clinical chief, Jordan Anderson. Good afternoon, Jordan. Hello. And Andy Adams on the board. And on the phone, we are really honored to have Dr. Peter Antebi. Uh, Dr. Antebi is a, a very accomplished pediatric emergency physician and thought leader on many topics, but one, one being pediatric resuscitation. He is the inventor and... Uh, of the Hantebi uh, Pediatric Resuscitation System. So welcome, Peter, uh, to the podcast. Hey, Rob, Jordan, Andy, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Hey, very, very much uh, happy that you're here. And tell us a little bit about yourself, Peter, and how you got involved in a focus in, on uh, pediatric pre-hospital care and, and specifically resuscitation and how you got into developing this product. Well, I could tell you that it, it dates back to the fact that, um, first of all, I love resuscitation. I love being in the thick of it type of thing. But I, very, I realized very quickly that I was no good at it when I became the attending physician here at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital in South Florida. And I felt so inadequate. And I, was, and I felt like I was just making so many mistakes. And I kind of looked back and I said, I've trained at you know, two of the top children's hospitals in the country. I'm supposed to be the smartest guy here, and I sucked. Uh, you know, with, without, without mixing any words, I was a disaster. And um, a few months were going by, and the next code, and the next code. I mean, listen, I wasn't, I wasn't killing people, right? It's just that I left the code room, and nurses were crying, um, and not crying tears of joy. They were just, like, that was so painful and so difficult. And then in 2010, I became a medical director, and I started, you know, speaking to my medics and riding the back of the truck and, and they had the same exact issues. And that's when it really hit me that, hey, maybe it's not just me, maybe it's other people too. And um, I actually had created a method to help myself because the nurses looked at me and said, were kind of looking at me saying, hey, you kind of suck. And I created a little method that I didn't tell anybody, I was so embarrassed uh, of how to come up with some dosing for the most critical drugs. And then one nurse said to me a few years later, she says, hey, you've gotten a lot better at that. How do you do that? And I kind of said, what are you talking about? I trying to brush it off. And finally, I kind of came out of my shell and I said, and I admitted it, that I, I had to create something because I was just feeling so inadequate in the code room. And so that's how it all started. Now you have a system with your name on it uh, that we're going to implement too. So everything that you learned uh, in the, as an attending ED, hopefully will translate uh, to the streets of Montgomery County as well. So as we prepare to launch the hand-heavy system, what road bumps do you think we'll encounter along the way? That's actually a great question. So I think that there's some very, very big lessons that we've learned and we've had to undo, is in, especially in my own mind, that when I was in training, we always used to say that kids are not just little adults. And if, if anyone ever said that just treat kids like a little adult, you know, all the pediatricians, including myself and we all got upset. So, so I've and heard then, that a lot. I've never known right. what the answer is. We've decided that kids are not just little adults. Well, that's, that, so that, that's false. Okay. And so, right. And so um, I now stand corrected. And again, my pediatric colleagues um, who haven't really heard the story, 
uh, still don't agree with me, but I will tell you that the biggest mistake that we've made and that we've put our medics through and other physicians and nurses through is to convince them that children should be treated differently. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. If you're a child uh, in asystole, right next to a 60-year-old in asystole, go look at the ACLS and the PALS guidelines for cardiac arrest, and they're identical, right? When someone's having a seizure as an adult or pediatric, the, the treatment algorithm is identical. And I can go on and on, right? Uh, from uh, anaphylaxis and hypoglycemia. And so if you try and tell somebody that the child who has a low blood sugar should be treated differently than the adult, you automatically put them behind the eight ball. And that has been the biggest lesson that we've learned. And so when we come to uh, MCHD and, and speak to everyone there, we spend the first hour convincing everybody that we need to treat children the same. And then we actually give them the tools so that by the end of that session, people will leave saying, this is so freaking easy. And the confidence changes really in the, in the, um, in the course of just a couple of hours. And now that we're in all 50 states and we've had great successes at large agencies, small agencies, this doesn't take a lot of convincing, Jordan. So to your point is that once, once someone learns this concept once and they believe in it, you don't have to go twist their arm and say, you better go follow what Antevi said. No, they're going to say, now I get it. And then the next case, the next pediatric call will be, become better. And it takes about six months for the entire agency. You really see a major turn, a major shift uh, in the care of pediatric patients, which is really awesome. So I've, I've taken your course and, and I can see that the confidence level is definitely much higher when you leave the room than when you walked in the room. Yeah, it's really, it's really a, a, an amazing thing to see. What are some of those improvements that you've noticed in services that have implemented your, your system? Well, I think that it spans from the most minor of cases, but to what I care about the most, which is the cardiac arrest cases, the critical cases. And so uh, I'll take Polk County again, because they just actually put out some really uh, tremendous data on outcomes, which is really uh, what we're looking for. I mean, all of us can talk about return of spontaneous circulation. We could talk about all these things. But really what matters the most is when you look at the number of pediatric patients that go into cardiac arrest in your community, and then you look at the number of children, of those children who are actually walking, talking, playing soccer today, that is the key. And if you look at the data from the American Heart Association, it's in, you know, again, this is a number that's published everywhere. You can see numbers in the 6% range let's say six, maybe eight, 9% range for a uh, good neurologic outcome. Polk County, when they implemented our system in 2014, um, went from a number right around that number to a number today of 35%. And that number has stayed consistent a year, year over year. And that is just a, a tremendous thing that the paramedics made the difference. And again, I want everyone to understand one very important thing, that this has nothing to do with me, right? This has to do with the paramedic who's, who's going to the scene and in route to the scene, they kind of look themselves in the mirror and say, am I ready? And if you don't have that, that vote of confidence from your own self that you're ready, you're host, number one. When you get onto the scene, when people are looking at you and they're actually saying, hey, I want this person to be here because I really love what they're doing and I, they look like they're comfortable and confident, that's big win number two. And when you can deliver a child to the hospital who has pulses, and you're not just transporting dead children to hospitals, that's, 
that's the big win because that child will have a chance to survive. And so just to finish this off, I would say that everyone, everyone listening needs to understand one major thing. It's not the hospital that saves children in cardiac arrest. It's EMS. And it's the individual paramedic skill level, confidence level in the field at the scene to actually make the difference. And so that, that I think is probably the biggest thing to understand that it's not the system, but it's really, it's you as an individual and how you perform on the scene. That's an amazing system improvement from six to 30%. You yeah. mentioned making the difference on scene. Historically, pediatric patients are kind of load and go. Uh, just an EMS. You, you're met by the fire department holding a football and they hand it to you and you drive as fast as you can to the hospital and try and do some ACLS along the way. Um, is that completely contradictory to how you think we should be treating pediatric cardiac arrest? It, it's it's 180 degrees. It's I mean, I could not disagree more with people who take children who are dead, run to the back of the truck, and then uh, try to provide care, right, quasi-care, and um, you know, listen, I know that's the hard part for people to kind of undo that in their brain, but all that is is trash in people's brain between their two ears that they have to remove. And that's what we do during the course. We try to anyway, is we try to explain to people that we should not be transporting dead people, especially dead children. And what I tell any of my medics who come up to me, and it's happened, and they say something like, you know what, I just, I felt like I had to transport and get the kid to the hospital. And I say, well, what happened at the hospital? And they'll say something like, well, the doctors there uh, coded the kid for 10, 15 minutes, and then they call the code. I said, exactly. I said, if, you're, if you ever transport a dead kid to the hospital and they ever walk out of that hospital alive, you call me. It just, not, it's never going to happen. The child will be in a vegetative state or they'll, they'll end up dead. And so we know that children need to get resuscitated on scene. We know you shouldn't move the child just like you shouldn't move the adult. Um, I'm really adamant about that. And that's what we teach in the course. Fantastic. Peter, can you, can I expound on that or have you expound a little bit on that? Now, when you, that's a big thought shift for, uh, I think for our medics here at MCHD and lots of other medics around the country to, to not scoop and run these kids. Can you just talk a little bit more about how you implemented those, that, that thought process and how you got buy-in from your services, uh, yeah. to take that route in your different, cause I know your medical director of multiple services, some fire-based and non-fire-based. Right. So first of all, it all starts with looking at your numbers and looking at your data and, and, and then understanding the actual kind of agency that, that you're in. So there are agencies out there who a majority of, 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 of the providers just don't want to even hear this information. Um, and so what I've done, which I think has been the most important thing that I've ever done as a medical director, is that after every single cardiac arrest call, uh, at first we did both adult and pediatrics, we listened to the audio. And then I call, I, I get all the crews on the phone and not, not as a CISM type of thing, but just to kind of walk through it. What that says to my medics is that, hey, this guy cares about what's going on. And I, I always ended by saying, is there anything you need me to do as a medical director to help you provide better care? Um, and at the same time, what we're doing is we've implemented this strategy where we say, I don't tell them 20 minutes on scene. I say, give me two minutes to start off with, which means that you get to the scene, you bag, 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 you push on the chest, you drill the IO and you give the epinephrine like really fast, right? Within, within minutes of arrival, that has to happen. And I start off by saying, once you do that, then I'm okay with you going. But that's just a, 
allow them to get their foot their, their first foot in. As soon as they get that first foot in and all of a sudden they get their first save, they come back to the to their colleagues in the, at the fire station and say, hey, we just had a, a great pediatric save today. And then that person will then spend two minutes. And then the two becomes four and the four becomes six and the six becomes 10. And then at the quarterly medical director meeting, I'm coming up and saying, we had another uh, you know, two or three saves again. And, and, I, and I give kudos to the people who stayed on scene. And next thing you know, all of a sudden, people start to understand that they matter and that their decisions matter. And so um, there's nothing that tells a story better than when you bring the child back to the station. And we had this the other day. Unfortunately, I was out of town, Rob. I was in Houston. But we had a two-year-old who was in Torsades, right? When are you ever going to see a two-year-old in Torsades? And one of my amazing uh, lieutenants, Carl Kellenberger, recognized it. He gave the magnesium. Uh, they, they were doing CPR on this kid at the same time, got this kid back to life. He walked out of the hospital. They did a news story on it. Um, and I have so many stories like that now because everyone understands that kids are saved, not in the hospital, but in the pre-hospital arena. And so um, if you get me into a room with anybody, I'll present the data the right way. I'll present the story the right way. Um, and more importantly, and this is probably a much deeper conversation, I could talk about it for hours, you could probably tell, if you're a paramedic and yesterday you treated an adult and you did 20 minutes on scene and you did everything right and you, and you told yourself how, how well you did, the very next day, if you have a pediatric arrest and you spent you know, 30 seconds on scene and you ran off the scene, you will go home and you're going to beat yourself up. No one else will beat you up. You will tell yourself, you know what? I didn't do right by that kid. And then over time, Rob and Jordan, you will become scarred. And as the years pile up on you, you're going to become an emotional disaster because you know you didn't do the right thing. Your medical director doesn't have to tell you that. Your friends don't have to tell you that. You know that you didn't do right by that child. And so what we've done is we've, co we've connected the right care with the right emotional outcome for the, for the provider, for the paramedic. And that has changed things dramatically because people now understand is that it's their own well-being that's important too, not just the well-being of the patients that they're caring for. I love the idea of gradually staying on scene in incremental time it's, periods. Yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Get, get yeah. entire buy-in from, from the service and, and know that it's okay and know that you do know what to do and, and build that confidence level. We've kind of yeah. beat all around the topic of, of termination of resuscitation. Uh, are you comfortable with medics actually terminating the resuscitative efforts if you get that outcome? So th th this is this is a this is a, a great great topic, and I think that um, I've kind of come a long way with with this one. And I'll just maybe relay a story that that happened without all the full details. Uh, but we had a child recently in one of my agencies who was a traumatic arrest. He was run over by a car, and you know there was, there was a lot of my medics were on scene. The parents were right there, and one of my lieutenants, who's actually he's we call him at that agency, we call him a district captain. So he was in charge and he, he, he evaluates and he basically says, there's nothing to do here. But what did he do? Right, right when he said that, he turned, he made, a, he made a beeline right to the family. And basically he went into, you know, caring empathy mode and he explained everything and why, that they, were, why they weren't leaving. And, and the parents, it was very difficult for them. But at the end of the day, that's the tough part. And so that's what no one teaches at least not many people do this. The only way to, to terminate correctly is to educate our folks on how to do it correctly. So my motto is, and I tell people this all the time, I will never, ever get upset at anyone for transporting someone who, who's had an arrest, who, who's 
who's basically dead, if you want to transport them because you don't feel comfortable yet, I'm okay with that. And I would say that 98% of the people that I work with still are not comfortable, but I leave the door open. Or if you have a child who's six o'clock in the morning and you get there and the jaw is tight and the fingers are tight and the child is dead, why are we doing the show code, removing the, the, the child from the family? The police are now at the, at the house with the family, not, letting, not releasing them. And now you bring the dead kid to me in the hospital. I call the code. There's nobody there. The family's still back at the house because they're being questioned by the police, unfortunately. And it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And so, um, you know, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here because this is very, very difficult. But there are very few people out there who've been trained to actually terminate a pediatric patient on scene. And trauma is a little different than medical, obviously, but we need to do a lot more work. And I'm committed to doing this work over time. Uh, I'll need some help doing it. But getting our folks to training so that if that day comes where they say, you know what, I'm able to do this, let's give you the tools to make it happen. Because it doesn't just happen uh, automatically with a protocol. It doesn't happen that way. That's a really great answer to a really hard question. Currently, we don't allow the termination of resuscitation on pediatric patients. And I think kind of what I'm getting from your answer is maybe we build a confidence level in the treatment regimen around staying on scene and treating those pediatrics. And then uh, the day will come that we're comfortable with allowing that termination and, and doing what's right uh, by the patient in all regards. Right. And that and that day comes and I, I'm kind of getting closer to, the, to the, what, what I call the truth and, and trying to find out what the real answer is. That day comes when the provider, the paramedic, can actually get to closure themselves, meaning that when you know that you've been prepared to treat anybody, any child, when you get on scene and you say, I've done everything I can, more than what the hospital can do or as good as the hospital can do, and I've given my all and this kid's still not alive and, and it's not going to make it, and you yourself can get the closure, the day that you could look a family member in the eye on scene and say, I'm so sorry for your loss or the death of your child, um, and you can give them a hug and you can cry with them, that's the day that you can terminate on scene. If you're not that, if, if you're not there yet, you can't and you probably shouldn't do that. It takes time. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, can you leave us with another trend or topic that you think might be the, maybe the future of your research or the future of pediatric care in general? Um, you know, listen, I, I think, I think there, there's so much work to do um, on, on the pediatric aspects of things as far as dosing errors. Um, I think that there's a lot of work to do on the topic that we just spoke about, which is really how to speak to family members when, when they're in a, uh, when in, in a critical situation. Um, and so I think that there are these really big things that people are not addressing because people are always focusing on the dose, right? I think the dose has nothing to do with any of this at the, at the end of the day. I think what we really need to focus on is our providers. And we have to really have to turn the focus away from using a widget or using a tool or, or even using an app, right? We have an app and we love the app, but the app does no good without a provider who actually has the confidence and comfort level to look into a parent's eyes and say, I'm here to treat your child and treat them with confidence. And so I really do think that in pediatrics, specifically in EMS, we could do a few small things to make some big, big changes. And that's really what I'm looking forward to doing uh, in this field. That is fantastic insight, Peter. We really, really appreciate it. And as, as you can tell from the discussion, this is something that's been on the front burner here at MCHD and, and how we always try to look to, to see how can we improve our practice. So uh, again, we really, really appreciate your insight and expertise on this and your, uh, uh, your talking with us today. 
Rob and Jordan, thank you guys. And again, I, I, I can't wait to come down to uh, your neck of the woods in, in Texas. And uh, I, I really can't wait to try and transform uh, that entire area. You guys are amazing medics and your program is really uh, you know, something that we all should look up to. And thank you guys for having me on this podcast and the show. All right. All right. That uh, wraps it up for this uh, MCHD paramedic podcast. I'm Dr. Rob Dixon with Jordan Anderson and Andy Adams saying talk to you next time. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.